Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a way to make it easier to forgive and forget and what bees yell when they're surprised. We'll also answer a listener question about whether future civilizations will get oil from human fossils. Let's satisfy some curiosity. You know the saying, forgive and forget? That's one of those things that's much easier said than done. Lots of research has focused on ways to forgive, sure, but not as much has investigated the forgetting part. Well, now a new study from De Montfort University in the UK is showing how different types of forgiveness could help people who want to forget an unpleasant experience. As for why you would want to forget, past research has shown that reducing the memories of a bad event also helps people feel less negative emotions. So it could be helpful for people with PTSD or other severe anxiety. So for the study, researchers focused on two different types of forgiveness. Decisional forgiveness is when a person decides to forgive the person who's hurt them and maintain their relationship, even if they still hold a grudge. Emotional forgiveness involves getting rid of the grudge altogether by working to replace their negative emotions with positive ones. In the first experiment, participants were told to imagine that just before moving in with a romantic partner, they discovered that person was having an affair. Yikes. Some tried to forget through emotional forgiveness, like wishing positive things for the offender. And others tried to forget through decisional forgiveness, to decide to treat the offender well despite their pain. And the results showed that emotional forgiveness was more effective than decisional forgiveness for helping participants forget the details of how they'd been hurt. The emotional forgivers also felt more psychological distance from their pain. In another experiment, people wrote about a betrayal they had actually been through and were still angry about. Then they performed the same forgiveness exercises. And again, emotional forgiveness was better at helping people forget the details of the betrayal, and it also helped them feel more forgiveness overall. But emotional forgiveness isn't a silver bullet. In both studies, even emotional forgiveness couldn't make people forget everything about how they'd been hurt. Instead, it just helped them distance themselves from the event and think about it at a more abstract level. So while more research is needed, these results are pretty encouraging. They suggest that emotional forgiveness could help people get more distance from negative events and emotions. They say that holding a grudge is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Not super effective. If you want to rid yourself of that poison, you might try out emotional forgiveness. Send good thoughts and positive feelings toward the offender, and it might help you recover too. Hunter in Chicago asked an interesting question on Twitter. If fossil fuels come from dead dinos, does that mean we'll reach a point where people who died during the plague will become oil? Will I be able to fuel up my car using Shakespeare's remains? Ashley, you read me this question and I'm like, fossil fuels come from dinosaurs? Yeah. What? <laughs> I thought this was a pretty universally assumed fact. I think it's just in the name. Dinosaurs are fossils and fossil fuels come from fossils. So fossil fuels come from dinosaurs. Yeah, never made that connection. But I'm glad that you're here to demystify. <laughs> well, I'm glad you never did make that connection because it turns out that it's wrong. 
the answer to this question is actually a resounding no, because fossil fuels don't come from dinosaurs. Mind blowing, right? See, I was just ahead of my time. You were. You were. (laughs) I mean, so your first clue is that the term fossil fuel was first coined in 1759, before the first dinosaur fossil was ever found. Fossil originally just meant something found buried or dug up from the earth. It didn't actually refer to the preserved remains of ancient living organisms until paleontology was invented in the early 19th century. The sources of our fossil fuels are actually much older than the dinosaurs. Most of the fossil fuels we use today come from algae, bacteria, and plants that started decaying at least 50 million years before the earliest dinosaurs even lived. But even without this time frame mismatch, dinosaurs still wouldn't be fueling our cars. That's because fossil fuels come from organic matter, meaning once living things that contain a lot of carbon. Dinosaur fossils were once living too, of course, but the parts that are left behind, like shells and bones, are inorganic. That means they don't have any carbon in them. Oil, coal, and natural gas are all fossil fuels that formed under similar processes. First, microscopic plants and animals died and sank to the bottom of the ocean or were buried by debris. As layers built on top of those decaying materials, the increased pressure and heat transformed them into different types of hydrocarbons, named because they contain hydrogen and carbon. We call those hydrocarbons fossil fuels. These compounds accumulate in underground reservoirs until we drill down to collect them. Burning these fuels releases energy stored in their atomic bonds, which we use to drive our cars, make electricity, and a whole lot more. But this process also releases carbon back into the atmosphere, which heats our planet and contributes to climate change. So, Hunter, you are not driving on a tank of T-Rex. But will the plants and plankton of today turn into the fossil fuels of tomorrow? Probably not. The era that this life came from had extra oxygen in the atmosphere, which led to way more vegetation than there is today. That makes it pretty special as far as fuel goes. Besides, we need to get away from using fossil fuels fast for there to be even a chance of some future civilization burning fuel from Shakespeare's day. Otherwise, we'll end up going the way of the dinosaurs ourselves. Thanks for your question, Hunter. If you have a question, send us an email or a voice recording to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. When you bump into somebody, you might say, whoops, sorry. Or here in the Midwest, you'd probably say, oh, because that's a Midwest thing, apparently. (laughs) Is that a Midwest thing? I think it is. Yeah. Oop, oop, (laughs) just, just, oop, just trying to squeeze by here. Oh, well. (laughs) Bees also make an exclamation when they bump into someone, sort of. When a bee bumps into another bee, it makes a whoop sound. Scientists once thought this was a stop signal, but new research reveals bees make a whooping sound when they're startled. The whoop sound honeybees let out is actually a vibrational pulse that's inaudible to human ears, but it can be recorded by accelerometers placed inside a honeycomb. In the 1950s, researchers noticed bees making this noise before exchanging food, and they assumed this noise was a food request. Later, scientists noticed the noise again when one bee tried to stop another bee from performing a waggle dance, and that's used to tell other bees where to locate a food source. So they thought it might be a way to say, stop. 
Well, in 2017, research by scientists at Nottingham Trent University in the UK found that it may be an expression of surprise. They placed cameras inside the hive and noticed that these sounds happened most often when a bee bumps into another bee, not just when they're requesting food or blocking another bee from waggle dancing. In fact, those earlier researchers may have misjudged which bee was doing the whooping. Instead of the bee saying stop, it was probably the dancing bee reacting to a well-placed headbutt. A food exchange is also preceded by a headbutt, so that explains the food request finding from the 1950s. The researchers also found that bees whoop a lot, like six or seven times a minute in one small area. And I'm guessing you want to hear what it sounds like. So here's a sound clip made from a collection of their recordings. Now, as for why this research matters, this discovery may be one way to measure the overall stress levels of a colony. Scientists might be able to deliver a standardized stimulus, like a tap, to the hive and measure the amount of whoop, 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 that followed. An unstressed colony might have less of a response, while a stressed colony would break into a whooping fest. And nobody wants a stressed out honeybee, so there you go. Ashley, we have so many cool things coming up on this podcast. Let's give listeners a sneak peek. All right. Well, next week, you'll learn about how mammals can breathe through their butts. Uh, that includes humans, by the way. How a newly discovered pregnant mummy is challenging what we know about ancient Egypt. Tips for managing your work from home paranoia and more. We'll also talk to a leading AI researcher about why you probably don't need to worry about a robot apocalypse anytime soon. But for now, let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that you can forgive and forget more effectively by forgiving emotionally. That's when you work to replace negative emotions with positive ones, as opposed to just deciding to forgive someone you might still hold a grudge against. This actually helps you forget the details about the time you were wronged. And I feel like, you know, that this sounds simple, but this is also something that therapists are very well equipped to help you do. It's not that easy to just like replace your negative emotions with positive ones without help. So therapy is always a good idea. Yeah, forgiveness in general is really good, too. I actually remember I was on the receiving end of a very unhealthy relationship once, and I could see why that person was doing the things that they were doing. And so I had some empathy. So when I broke things off, I was just like, look, I wish you the best. I hope you get your issues figured out. I really do genuinely um, but I'm, I'm just going to peace out. And the person was very upset with me, but like that, I, I genuinely wanted the best for that person. Cause I did care about them, but I was just like, you know, this isn't, you're not good for me right now. So that I, 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 you know, it was very helpful for me to move on. I, I do still hold a grudge against someone from my past. And I just want to say that if you're holding a grudge, like I know how kind of weirdly good holding a grudge can feel it's like you're protecting yourself and making sure that that thing doesn't happen to you again but at the same time you're also just more miserable than you could be like i should probably work on my own emotional forgiveness definitely it's like the saying goes saying i forgive you is not saying what you did is okay it's saying i'm not going to let what you did continue to affect me absolutely 
But we also learned that fossil fuels do not come from actual dinosaur fossils. I didn't actually learn that because I didn't know that. But <laughs> now we all know that. Fossil fuels actually come from organic matter that contained a lot of carbon. And pressure and heat transformed these into different types of hydrocarbons, which we then drilled down to harvest. But when we burn them, we release that carbon back into the atmosphere, which we don't really want to keep doing. And actually, the association between fossil fuels and dinosaurs is not an accident. It was actually from advertising. The Sinclair Oil Corporation sponsored a dinosaur exhibit at the Chicago World's Fair in 1933. And the company claimed that its products were refined from crude oil formed when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And they wanted consumers to think they were, you know, natural. And the exhibit was so popular that they adopted a giant green apatosaurus named Dino as their mascot. Not Dino from the Flintstones, but just just plain old Dino. Sure. So sometimes scientific misconceptions are due to us, but sometimes they're literally advertising. Like companies literally want you to misunderstand it so that you'll buy their product. And you got to watch out for that. Kind of weird that we're so dependent on fossil fuels as a species, and yet <laughs> we don't really know a whole lot about them, especially me, it seems. <laughs> oh, that's, give yourself a break for that. I feel like there are tons of things. I don't know half the stuff that's going on in this computer right now that I use every single day, you know? That's fair. And we learned that when bees are startled, they yell whoop, or more like, like tiny little terriers. <laughs> and knowing this might be able to help us measure the overall stress levels of a colony. A colony that whoops more when you tap their hive might be more stressed out than a colony that doesn't. Up. Whoop. Up. Yep. <laughs> let's, just, let's just do that for the next episode. Make a bunch of sound effects. Perfect. Today's writers were Kelsey Donk, Steffi Drucker, and Anna Todd. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. It's the weekend. Woo! Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that outburst. But don't forget to join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.